smartcast.com This is the morning brief from the Economic Times produced in collaboration with avas.com India is facing an unprecedented health and humanitarian crisis After days of covid patients and family members struggling to get hospital beds and oxygen cylinders the world has now taken note of what's unfolding here and offers for help have finally begun coming in The United States Defense Secretary has directed the Pentagon to provide material support to India's healthcare workers the move comes soon after the US President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris directed the United States workforce for the mobilization of american resources to assist india to tackle this unprecedented crisis with the help of india's former foreign secretary ranjan mathai director of the india project at brookings tanvi madan senior journalist seema sirohi and et senior editor manu pabi we take a look at how countries are stepping up efforts to support india the us delay in offering help and the diplomatic ramifications of what's currently happening in India. I'm Indulekha Arvind and you're listening to the Morning Brief from the Economic Times. Over the last couple of days, we've been reading about various countries that have come forward to support India in an hour of need with life-saving equipment, drugs and personnel. I asked my colleague Manu who's been reporting about this which countries have been sending us what Some of the help which has already arrived in India is mostly related to oxygen generating plants from uh, France from Russia See uh, from the Indian perspective the uh, help that we are we have asked for is into two broad categories uh, one is oxygen generating supplies and the second is medicines sure. and uh, vaccine raw materials So from the uh, Russian for example the help that has already come in is uh, several uh, plants uh, that that help us generate oxygen from France it is similar the France has actually sent in eight large oxygen generating plants which will help uh, run hospitals with a continuous supply of oxygen the US uh, which is sending in aid uh, has promised to send in again oxygen plants plus a lot of doses of uh, life saving medicines and they've also agreed to free up vaccine raw materials for uh, sii uh, smaller countries closer to us like singapore have sent in something which is uh, been uh, very vital to us right now which is oxygen containers basically these are these are oxygen bottles f- which are uh, full of uh, oxygen right now which can be airlifted safely there's a big basket of countries which are sending in uh, a variety of supplies uh, which will be coming in uh, this week and and in the coming week as well amidst the heart-wrenching images of patients dying for lack of oxygen and personal experiences of trying to somehow help a family member or friend get a hospital bed it feels good to hear about what countries around the world are doing to help us get through this crisis but i was curious about the timing considering we've been in the throes of a surge for quite some time Should we have sought this help earlier? Should other countries have stepped forward sooner? I pose this question to Ranjan Mathai, India's former foreign secretary. What do you make of the response that has come so far? Was it in time and uh, should we be expecting more? I think some of the responses could have been quicker. 
It's on our ability to do more on the vaccination production. There, I think we should have got help earlier. But otherwise, you have to recognize that every country in the world is facing this crisis, bar none. So there is a tendency to see what can we do to help somebody else in the context of the immediate demanding priorities facing the policymakers from demand at home. I took this question to Tanvi Madan, director of the India Project at Washington-based think tank Brookings. And here's what she had to say about whether the global response to the crisis in India has been adequate and whether it should have come sooner. It is important to remember in terms of when we consider slow, uh, these kind of these things involve massive logistics uh, getting things there, getting customs clearance, all that. So it's not surprising it's take you know it's taken a few days, and now aid is starting to come in from various governments. Uh, these things take time. It's hard to do this in 24 hours, but you really are seeing a number of governments uh, step up. There has, however, been considerable criticism in India and particularly among the diaspora in the U.S. about why it took so long for President Joe Biden's administration to respond. This is what Seema Sirohi senior ET columnist who's based in Washington, D.C., had to say about the reasons for the tardiness. The basic reason is that they're so focused on their domestic agenda that the team within the administration that was arguing for quicker reaction was losing out to the team that was saying that we need to first conquer the pandemic here, that there has to be herd immunity in the United States first, And the fear of uh, political fallout, you know, uh, the Republicans would use it against President Biden if there was any outbreak here and any shortages in the U.S. So basically, the Biden administration kept in place the restrictions that the Trump administration had put on export of raw materials, uh, export of vaccines, etc., This is the basic reason, but it does not explain the lack of sympathy, at least in words that they could have expressed on social media. Because, you know, the story in India is at least 10 days or 12 days old. The crisis was in the making. Everybody could see it. Now they are reacting and they are deploying the full might of the U.S. government. At India's request, uh, we are exploring options to provide oxygen and related supplies. The Department of Defense and USAID are pursuing options to provide oxygen generation systems. We may be in a position to reroute shipments planned for other countries with lower immediate needs, given the urgency of the conditions in India. That was U.S. Press Secretary Jen Psaki at a press briefing on April 27th. I was also keen to understand Washington's perception of the terrible challenge that India is facing and how the government has been handling it, especially because the narrative was that India had very successfully got the better of the pandemic, which, of course, turned out to be very, very far from the truth. In fact, here's what Prime Minister Modi had to say at the Davos summit in January. Vishwaki 18% abadi rehti ho. उस देश ने कोरोना पर प्रभावी नियंत्रण करके पूरी दुनिया को मानवता को बड़ी त्रासदी से भी बचाया है 
see uh, given what the reporting has been from india both in the indian press and in the western press the impression is that there is chaos in india there are shortages there was no real planning uh, so to say uh, between the time when india seemed to have conquered the first wave and the time the second wave hit they didn't use the time adequately to put systems in place and then on top of that the super spreader events are getting a lot of uh, attention that uh, the kumbh mela is going on that uh, election rallies were held election was staggered in west bengal but of course over the last few days the us has definitely stepped up efforts with president joe biden speaking to prime minister narendra modi on monday and a raft of interventions have subsequently come through i spoke at length with modi the prime minister we are sending immediately a whole series of help that he needs including providing for those rendesivir and other drugs that are able to deal with this and prevent in some cases but recover help recovery we're also discussing i've discussed with him when we'll be able to send actual vaccines to india which will be my intention to do i asked my colleague manu to understand what the support of the full might of the us government as seema put it looks like the us for example has offered help from the government itself as as well as from the private industry and uh, the private sector commitment itself is actually quite large and i think it will it will come through and through the coming months from them it's not just oxygen concentrators and and stuff which will you know immediately help us but this it's a long term commitment so there will be a team from the us center for disease control which will come in here they call it a strike team for some reason so they will come they will be deployed here they will be helping indian scientists and uh, as well as the medical community to figure out how to stem the flow of this uh, epidemic they will study samples they will suggest measures to uh, stem the again to control how fast it is spreading and and, and study the impact of the virus itself they will also be uh, helping the indian industry set up urgently required facilities like oxygen plants as manu mentioned earlier the biden harris administration in a white house press briefing so the us was diverting its own order of raw materials to the serum institute to help india in its vaccine manufacture but the us also has a stockpile of millions of doses of the astrazeneca vaccine which it will not be using since it has not received regulatory approval now considering the vaccine shortage that india is facing this is also something that would help us but seema explained to me that there was a slight complication here so there are about 40 million astrazeneca doses the unfortunate thing is that some of them were produced in a plant in baltimore that turned out to have mixed up certain ingredients so the fda is being very careful they want to inspect every batch of those doses before they send them out because it would be a public relations disaster if they were to send out astrazeneca and then they turned out to be contaminated so surely they have made an executive decision to share these extra vaccines 
India will get some for sure, Brazil might get and some other countries. But I think the larger question is that currently the US is sitting on many more doses than it needs. It can vaccinate its people twice, thrice over. The thing is whether they will be willing to sell those to other countries mm-hmm. uh, so that we can tide over this huge crisis. To return to the question of vaccines, before India slipped into its current crisis, it had, of course, embarked on a vaccine diplomacy mission to export doses. But that's something the country has had to slow down in view of the surge of cases in India and the shortage of doses, particularly after criticism from multiple quarters in India itself. This is obviously not very good news for the recipient countries, and it's been further complicated by China's offer to step into the gap left by India. I asked Tanvi, what would be the likely fallout of all this in the longer term? You know, there are two things here where, on the one hand, you have seen over the last year uh, as of the pandemic um, that, you know, we're seeing that geopolitics and competition in a competitive era, uh, competition doesn't stay in the geopolitical realm. It it, it does go over into uh, global health and others. We've seen this between the U.S. and China. We've seen it between India and China as well. And so it's no surprise that, you know, China will try to perhaps take the opportunity to uh, to show others that they can help to, to continue their vaccine diplomacy. Having said that, I think what is most important is for India to get back on its feet, because there is, as you, as you pointed out, there is no kind of uh, helping the rest of the world. And India is a crucial cog in this wheel uh, of vaccine production. And I think foreign governments recognize this, which is partly why India is getting help, which is if India doesn't get back on its feet, it has these what they're called second and third order effects, uh, which means you cannot get uh, you know, vaccines out into uh, the COVAX facility that, uh, that will go to many countries in Africa and Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, and so I think it is important, most important is for India to get back on its feet. And what that will do is enable India then to be able to help others. I also wanted to know a little more about the protocol for seeking and receiving help in times of crisis. So I asked Mr. Matai what his experience of this had been. Well, really, there's no protocol. When you're in this kind of a serious problem, heading to a crisis and a full-blown crisis as we are in now, uh, you go and make verbal demarches, as we call them, verbal requests. And usually... The, the request is followed up with or you carry with you a written official request mentioning, specifying what are the kinds of areas in which you do need assistance. So it's both. You do back channels, you do formal meetings and you do written requests. All three go hand in hand. Manu too told me that this came down to a mix of factors. In this situation, India did put up a request for assistance especially for oxygen suppliers, because the situation went really bad very quickly. So the request was put out by India to partners like the Americans, to EU and to Russia. And uh, we also actually had uh, calls from these countries for help. So it was a request for assistance. It was offers from their side. And a lot of it is also commercial uh, purchases. So what we've done is we've placed commercial orders uh, to countries across the world and we've used diplomatic channels to ensure that those supplies come on time. So, you know, it's, it's a mix of uh, using uh, both your purchasing right. power and your diplomacy. The one factor which is, uh, which is interesting is that 
almost every country which is sending in aid right now is thanking india for the help that we gave them last year and i might add when we were in a bind at the very beginning india helped us uh, remember last year india was not so badly off and we were managing to help uh, our, our friends to whatever measure we could have so in, you know that included sending across some uh, emergency oxygen supplies last year uh, to the vaccine we sent earlier this year and i think a lot of that is coming back to india right now as countries across the world swing into action it became evident that the first responders were long standing allies of india mr mathai explained that it depends on both this and the capacity of the countries that were stepping in while manu said that what was happening is also a response to a humanitarian crisis if i can just pick up from my uh, experience personally uh, i was ambassador in israel in 2001 january when the bhuj earthquake hit and uh, you know they mentioned to us and our government confirmed that we needed assistance and within a day you had the air force of israel in the air force of india coordinating the first flights into bhuj this is a, a humanitarian crisis and i think uh, the help which is coming in right now is because of the long standing relationship that we have had uh, with these countries of course uh, the help that we gave them uh, this year and last year was part of that long standing uh, relationship that we have nurtured and uh, i mean for example i'll tell you about russia you know russia is one of the first countries to send over a you know tons of uh, equipment which includes actually 20 oxygen production units uh, 75 ventilators uh, you know a whole lot of medical monitors uh, which will continue so countries like russia countries like the us you know these are countries with which we have had long term standing relations and this is the time when india actually activated diplomatic channels across the world to figure out uh, what all assistance can come and you know once we reached out i think there was an immediate response Manu also added that this should not be seen as a cry for help from India. It's not being seen as a cry for help or aid. I think it is more of a it is more of help coming in at a time of crisis. So you know the Indian official policy is that we do not look for foreign grants or or or, or aids, and we have not done that for a very long time. So I think that policy still stands, and this is more of you know. using your diplomatic heft to ensure the supplies come to you on time i also asked manu if he thought that india had perhaps delayed seeking help particularly in the context of what he mentioned that the country's policy is not to seek foreign aid i think you know once uh, the situation was the, was realized here the gravity of the situation i think uh, we moved pretty quickly in in the beginning i think there was as 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 most of us uh, were taken by surprise uh, by this uh, fast spreading virus i think we didn't really think that this would happen so quickly but i think once uh, you know especially when uh, the media here highlighted the situation and it was clear that the situation has gone out of control i think they moved pretty quickly and uh, as you would remember for example you know initially there was a lot of anger against the us for holding back vaccine raw materials for not being able to help out but i think almost overnight things changed so there was a two day period at the middle of this month where i think the indian government really went all out there were a flurry of calls to the americans to the russians to european union you know all our, our other allies and i think that really turned things around 
while Mr. Matai agreed that uh, there was some delay, he was also of the view that it's quite easy to speak with the benefit of hindsight, which I thought was a fair point. Did we anticipate this speed? I don't think anyone did. And did anyone think that we should have been more engaged globally? Very, very few people have actually said that earlier. It's all coming out now. That said, one clear issue is that Yes, we should have sought help, but what kind of help? I would say in terms of priority, the most critical inputs and supplies for the vaccination program, this is one area where I think we could have certainly had through the governmental channels, much greater engagement with the countries where we needed support. It should not have been left to Dr. Poonawala to tweet the US president as late as mid-April saying that, you know, there are critical supplies that we need. So that is where I think uh, we could have done more. Seema, however, had a slightly different take on the delay, particularly with respect to the US. In this recent uh, give and take and this crisis of confidence that we just faced between US and India, there is a school of thought that the Indians did not put their request with the sense of urgency that the situation required. So some time was lost in all of that. Perhaps the idea was that India can handle it, but then it became evident that we couldn't, we needed help. And the Americans didn't want to get ahead sort of ahead of the Indian government and start offering help because that would not go down very well with the BJP, right? So it was a lot of confusion around that point, which in the end wasn't the right way to go about it. I think India should have been very clear from the start. Even as we welcome the help that has been offered, a couple of questions remain. Would India's handling of the COVID crisis particularly what's being heavily criticized as mismanagement of the pandemic, impact the world's perception of it in the long term? Does it also sit at odds with the government's emphasis on a policy of Atmanirbharta and resurgent growth? This is what Mr. Matai had to say. Well, in the short term, the, the perception will take a hit. But as I said, if we can pull out of the immediate crisis of the infection spreading as fast as it is and step up our vaccination program, do more to protect the population. And we come out of it with a proper program of stepping up our production. And this is not in isolation. You see, a lot of our production capabilities are in part of global supply chains. I think we have an opportunity to be both Atmanirbhar and part of global supply chains. As I said, everyone is reviewing them. Uh, The EU is doing it. The US is doing it. Japan is looking at it. So we have good relationships with these countries. Uh, And and when I say we, it's not just government. Our business people have good relationships. Our researchers have good relationships. Our uh, pharmaceutical companies have good relationships. So I think we can work together. When I pose the same question to Tanvi, about the global perception of India's handling of COVID, particularly since the government has been at pains to cultivate the image of a strong, resurgent nation. Here's what she had to say. There is, on the one hand, I think uh, internationally you've seen a combination of factors identified as the reason for the wave. I think on the one hand, it is there are some questions about whether it is the variant itself 
that is more transmissible. They have a lot of questions, uh, public health experts, uh, is the, that it's the variant itself that has spread uh, quicker. At least that's the speculation because we still don't know. Uh, but the second thing is there is a, there is a sense that a, a certain amount of complacency had set in that India had uh, dodged a bullet, so to speak, uh, in terms of the vaccine. Now, India is not the only country that has gone through this phase. One thing we have seen repeatedly in many countries is that you really can't let your guard down uh, in with this virus. It adapts. Uh, it sometimes, you know, spreads in even where kind of vac- there's vaccination. And so governments, uh, you know, there is a sense that the Indian government uh, and state governments, uh, but particularly, I think people do pay more attention internationally to what's done at the central government level, uh, that a certain amount of complacency had set in. Um, and it, perhaps India could have uh, used the time when when it wasn't spreading uh, to build up capabilities, etc. Having said that, I think most people are not asking those questions as much right now. The emphasis, especially amongst foreign governments, is to do what they can to, to help India uh, with uh, dealing, tackling uh, this, uh, this second wave. And finally, here's Seema's take on the same question. People are watching how India is handling this crisis, right? So Indian capacities have already, you know, been in question in the past. This will just add to that perception. Nobody will say anything on record about it, but surely uh, the Americans can see how the Indian ability is in action, the systems in action, how uh, short they are falling uh, in the face of this crisis. So it will be adding to the perception that the social divisions in India are already sort of exacerbated under the BJP government. This in addition to the inability to put systems in place. Instead, we saw a triumphalism after the first wave of COVID. So yes, people will be watching and taking note. From the hubris of having conquered COVID, India has tragically had to scramble to save the lives of its citizens, many of whom were literally left gasping for air. Amidst criticism of how the government has handled the pandemic, the support from global allies in one of our darkest hours could not have been more timely. While there might be a change of perception about India in the global arena because of the current crisis, The priority right now is to save as many lives as possible. And it's fortunate that the world for now seems to be standing with us. You've been listening to The Morning Brief from The Economic Times and I'm Indulekha Arvind. This episode was edited by Shashwat Mahanti and coordinated by Anjali Venugopalan. Do write in to tell us what you thought about this and other episodes as well as any other feedback or suggestions you might have. Our email ID is themorningbrief at timesgroup.com. The Morning Brief airs every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Avaaz.com <laughs>